your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes, I don't have the time for it today, Jackson. I'm not going to do the thing that you like. Oh, Tim, do the thing that you like with the, with the yes, yes thing. I'll do it. I'll play the hits. I'll always play the hits. But we have too much to get to today. Give me the top four from the number one ranked lead to the number four lead. Sure. Go. Uh, blues number one. Wow, God, I just feel like you're like, feel like you're like giving the audience red meat and stuff that you don't necessarily really believe. That's what I think. But go ahead. Arenado is number two. Cut. Missouri Tigers are number three. Cut. And the Illinois Fighting Line there four. Wow, Anthony Beck was in these studios with Kerry Davis, Others Michelle Smallman back. Others receiving and votes. Matt Rocchio and didn't even make the top four. Others receiving votes. What do I think people care about the most and will be most engaged by? Arenado and the Blues, either one. I agree with that. Arenado yeah. and the Blues. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Everyone get behind that. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford's going to be with us at 1045. I always enjoy our conversations. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today because I think could have a situation here. Yeah. And it's the first time in the Craig Berube era I feel like you could have a situation here. And that's why I'm anxious to hear what his opinion is. That was alarming on Saturday night. I realize the last week has been rather uh, discouraging. But Saturday's one bothered me more than any of them. To go up 3-1 and then have it just fall apart like that, losing 7-4. So, uh, Jeremy Rutherford uh, joining us coming up at 10-45 with a Rutherford report. You can send in your questions, 65780, Air Comfort Service, text line. And Jackson has officially announced that Nolan Arnato is the lead. Now, I don't, I don't dispute that for the record. My theory going into the weekend was bolstered by... Adam Wainwright's comments on the opening drive. Uh, Randy was in that day along with uh, Kerry Davis and, and Matt Rocchio, in which he said, that's not my news to break, but he thought that he was coming back. That's, and I'm paraphrasing what he said. And I thought, okay, well, he must have a pretty good idea, but then doesn't want to ruin it right. and say it. And then sure enough, on Saturday, uh, the Athletic breaks the story. Uh, Katie Wu, the Athletic, breaks the story. Derek Gould gets the quote from Nolan Arenado. And so what my belief is is that John Mazalak flew out to Southern California because Arnado wanted to know what are you going to do if I make sure that I am here through 2027. It's my belief. That's what that was about. Because if he knew he was going to come back, he could have just said, all right, I'm coming back. But instead, Mazalak flew out there a week ago today, and my belief is he's saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm 31 years old, and I certainly have some years left. But the guy at the other end of the diamond is going to be 36 next September. 
And we got to make sure that we have a plan to tend to our offense. And I want to know that if I am not going to get additional dollars, that I've got a spot here where we're going to be going out and spending some money and trying to compete because maybe I like these guys, whether they're in the outfield or my neighbors on the in the infield. But uh, we have a question mark at catcher, at shortstop, and in the outfield. And, you know, that's always to, to say you, you could use more starting pitching. What are we going to do? And I gather he liked what he heard. And I would say that the evidence is that he decided not to opt out. In addition to the following, I don't recall, and maybe somebody can text in uh, or leave a mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. I don't recall a time in John Mazalak's tenure as general manager, which is now 15 years, in which he said, we are going to increase payroll. And my reasoning for saying that, number one, I don't remember it, but number two, I don't really even know why you would say it. Because sometimes it's not under your control. I mean, yes, you could always go out and spend money. But if you don't get the people you want, it would be irresponsible to just start spending just to back it up. But at this point, for him to say that last Wednesday when he addressed the media tells me it was a byproduct of his trip to Southern California when which Nolan Arnado said, I'll stick around, but we're going to go out and we've got to get some help on offense. And so that is my belief as to how this all came together. Yeah, and to more of that, that they they have a plan, that they have a plan for free agency, and that you know they have guys they want to target, they have areas they want to target. Because like you said, if you just go say we're going to increase spending but have no real plan, you could end up in a situation where you're spending money that you didn't want to. But if you have that plan going into it, with the Arenado news, it kind of conf- not confirms it, but gives me more confidence that they have a plan and that they're going to spend this money more wisely on bigger targets. Names that have been associated, uh, not necessarily associated with the Cardinals per se, certainly Wilson Contreras has been associated with the Cardinals. Uh, he is the, t- the top catching free agent. People talk about Sean Murphy with the Oakland A's. Uh, that would not be a free agent. That would be a trade. trade but Wilson yeah. Contreras is 31, 5.5 war this past year, played about half of his games at catcher. Then you would turn your attention to shortstop. And you have five yep. who I think Cardinal fans would be excited about. Trey Turner. Not to say that that would be one of them. Yeah, it'd be tough. But he is uh, at the top of the list, 29 years old. Carlos Correa, 28 years old. Xander Bogarts, 30 years old. He can opt out. Dansby Swanson. Jackson, you've been talking up Dansby Swanson. Yeah, combine Swanson and Murphy. I think that's going to be two additions. 29 years old and Tim Anderson. Now that's a club option with the White Sox. Uh, Then you go to the outfield. And in the outfield, outside of Aaron Judge, I would actually tell you it's not that exciting of a free agent class. Aaron Judge, certainly the headliner, 31 years old. Uh, Elsewhere in right field, Mitch Haniger. Yeah, it's a lot of like Corey Dickerson kind of players. Just it's, it's not particularly exciting. In center field, Brandon Nemo with the Mets, 30 years old. I like Brandon Nemo. He's good, I I feel like he kind of flies under the radar. He was a run-scoring machine last year with an 8.7 war. Yeah, he's better than advertised. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then uh, in left field, uh, Joey Gallo and uh, Ben Attendee. I would say those would be, unless people are still interested in seeing Jock Peterson, he is 30. Gallo's 29, but Attendee is 28. Peterson would be interesting, but a lot of those guys are like, what have you done for me lately? Like Ben Tendy, of course, was a hero, but what has he done for anybody lately? So that's how it looks. So I'm intrigued as to see what they do with it. 
And when it comes to starting pitchers, if you are thinking the Cardinals may go that direction, which honestly it would surprise me considering who is already on right. the roster, but just for the sake of the discussion, uh, let's see, Nola is a club option. Rodon has a, uh, he can opt out. Kershaw is a free agent. DeGrom can opt out. Uh, Chris Bassett's a mutual option. And Verlander has a player option. Tyler Anderson is a straight-up free agent. Kyle Gibson, straight-up free agent. And that tends to most of your free agent glamour. There it is, Jackson. Yeah. Of those names, what do you want? What do you think they'll do? Go. I would love any of those five shortstops. I I think all five of those guys are really, really good. Um, Trey Turner and Correa might be out of the price range, but, hey, they said they're going to be spending money. So that's why I kind of keep up bringing up Dansby Swanson because he's a good, effective shortstop who would be somewhat, relatively, uh, cost-efficient. Uh, catcher, Contreras obviously like would be like the standout guy, but like we've talked about before, he didn't play that many games at catcher last season, and you're kind of looking for a guy who, I mean, coming off a of Yachty, you kind of want someone who can keep the base paths in check, especially in a cavernous ballpark like uh, Bush Stadium. So... Jumping out to me is uh, one of the shortstops, any of the five, really, if they can afford it. And then as far as outfielders go, like you don't have to go out and buy somebody that you don't think is going to be efficient. Nimmo would be cool. Obviously, Aaron Judge would be incredible. But you got Jordan Walker coming up. You know, maybe, and I, it sucks because the outfield has been the biggest drawback probably the last couple of years. But if they're not, people aren't out there, you don't have to go out there and just waste money. My belief is that there will be some trades that lead to an increase in the payroll. Yeah. Okay. In addition to a free agent. Yeah. That's what my expectation would be. Sure. I think you will see some players who were part of the team this year who will be gone within the next month. That's what I think mm-hmm. is going to happen. And then I don't know if they're going to go down the Contreras road. And, and that's not to say I don't want them to. I'm just I'm just handicapping it. Right. That I'm not sure if that's the way that they go because yeah, you want to have some reliability that the guy can be yeah behind the full time catcher. Right. So um, with that all said, your thoughts are welcome. Isn't DeYoung owed more this year? There's your increase in payroll. That's from the five seven three. I personally would be shocked if Paul DeYoung is on the Cardinals in 2023. Agreed. Shocked. Agreed. Can I get that in predictionary? Or is it just too much of a lot? I feel you like say it's, it's too much of a. I think it's too much of a lot. Didn't I fire a bullet on predictionary this past you uh, did. Friday? Let me, uh, let me check. You did. I know you did. I just can't remember exactly what it was. I felt like it might be a future play, that. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to look at it right now. Jackson is currently vamping. Oh, Arenado staying with the Cardinals. Check. Check. What's the record now? Fourteen and nine. Fourteen and nine. Not bad. I kind of felt like that's a that, that that's like a seven foot putt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 50, 50% of the time I'm going to make it, but I mean, by definition, that one counts. There are some people doubting it, so. Sure. So I, I don't think that it's, it's not, maybe an eight, nine foot putt. You know, you sweat over it a little bit. Maybe Mazalak will dress up as a GM for Halloween this year and sign some offense. Thanks, that's from Merle in Oakville. There you go. Merle in Oakville. What about Otani trade? What about Trout trade? You on board? I'm super on board. Like, I think that would be awesome, especially Otani. You get a guy like that one-of-a-kind kind of player. Trout, too, but, you know, you're going to blow up everything for I don't. It depends all—anytime you do it with the trade, you got to see what you're getting and what you're giving up. 
Uh, what about Christian Vasquez, a catcher? I agree with you. I think Christian Vasquez would make sense. That's yeah. a legitimate uh, possibility. Uh, Tim, they will still have to pay DeYoung to go away. I agree That's with you fine. 100%, but they won't be paying all of it. Right. So it, it, it is something that is going to happen. That is what I believe. They yeah. will be eating a large portion of the $9 million he is due, and they'll spin it as it's time for a fresh start. It might be beneficial for both parties. We really like Paul and everything he's done. But we think it just might be best for everybody to have a fresh start. That's what I think will happen there. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. Who would you like to see the Cardinals get? Who do you think they will get? And your reaction, Nolan Arnato, uh, now being a member of the Cardinals through 2027. This is something that I think is is perhaps underrated. Maybe people acknowledge it, but uh, it, it, it might not get talked about as much. You go back to 1982. You can trace Cardinal history and players playing with each other or back-to-back years all the way to 82, starting with Ozzie Smith. Ozzie Smith played all the way through 1996. Mark McGuire arrived in 1997. McGuire played through 2001, which means he played with Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds. Uh, And then, of course, Pujols and Jim Edmonds played with Scott Rowland. And then that group played with Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, which just wrapped up its tenure, which also, of course, played with Matt Holliday Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, and that group will go at least with Arenado through 2027. And so you have ties that bind all of these generations together. And if you want to take it back before Ozzy arrived in 1982, Brock played in 79, and now you're taking it all the way back to those 1960s teams. And so this organization has had faces of the franchise that become one with the community. Cross the board. Um... I, I suppose the only one that you could point out out of all those names that I listed would be McGuire, um, who is, I think, I think McGuire would be the first one to say a much different guy now than he was when he was playing and under the scrutiny of uh, trying to break Maris's record. But all of those names, and they have all either played together or they played back-to-back years, as the case was uh, Ozzy and, and McGuire, 96 and 97, and now you know you have that through at least 2027 with Nolan Arnado. That is something that not too many franchises can say. All right, Jimmy Rutherford coming up at 1045. Missouri goes into South Carolina, and they win over a top 25-ranked team. Illinois goes into Lincoln. They win over a team that used to be regularly in the top 25. We'll talk college football, and we will talk blues with Jeremy Rutherford coming up. You are welcome to give your thoughts anytime. 65780, Air Comfort Service text line, or by leaving a mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan with you to the top of the hour. Action Jackson, just prepared to bring heat to let it rain down upon you. That's the plan. Jackson, Missouri wins. Illinois wins. ILL, INI, MIZ. Z-O-U. Your uh, reactions to Missouri going into Columbia, South Carolina and beating the 25th-ranked Gamecocks. First of all, I'd like to say that the uh, the first thing you have to say is how good the defense played. Truly unbelievable. Like, outside of one drive, pretty much, like, handily were able to control what South Carolina did on both the run and pass game. Second, South Carolina, while they were ranked number 25, 
I think most people who watch college football a lot, especially watch Mizzou, South Carolina, can agree that they're probably not the 25th best team in the country. But no matter what, you went on the road against a team that was ranked 25 in the country. SEC victory on the road is always a good victory. And the way they played, uh, you know, the offense in the second half had struggles. The first half was great from an offensive standpoint. The second half had some struggles, but it was so overshadowed by the fact that defense would not let South Carolina do anything. So my evaluation, Gabe Diarman, who joins us every Friday, was on uh, TMA this morning. He's yep. with us every Monday on TMA, presented by James Carlton, and Friday here on Balloon Party. And Gabe and I, I feel like we're in lockstep on a couple of things, and then we disagree on a couple of things. Either way, I think the world of him, he's a great guy, and I think uh, he's Missouri fans are lucky to have him covering the team because he'll call it how he sees it kind of in a Joe Straussian way uh, with with Missouri athletics. In other words, he's not a cheerleader, and if you don't like what he has to say, he didn't really care, which I think is the best way to have somebody covering something. And uh, my opinion on Missouri this year is not necessarily as weird as it might sound, because clearly this isn't a season that is going to result in, you know, being in the mix for an SEC's title. Right. And that became clear, take your pick of whatever moment in September, whether it be when they got beaten badly by K-State, who I don't think we realized was nearly as good as they are this year, and weirdly lost to Tulane, although Tulane only has one loss themselves. Do you know who Tulane lost to? Because I was looking this up like, okay, how's Tulane? Tulane lost to Southern Miss, and Southern Miss is not real good. They're terrible. But either way, K-State just beat the hell out of Oklahoma State. Uh, K-State put TCU, an undefeated team, to the test. Then you had the Abilene Christian game, and that was the one where I go, oh boy, this this might be a problem this year, as weird as it might sound. And then the loss against Auburn. But from my standpoint, this year wasn't about, okay, can they win the SEC East or even compete for it? It's, is the program making progress? Is it moving in the right direction? Because what became a topic following the Auburn game for a lot of Missouri fans who I think were way higher on Eli Drinkwitz than I have been is maybe it's time to move on. Right. And I don't think you should fire in Columbia, Missouri, a coach after three seasons unless there are off-the-field things that are causing absolute hell to break loose. So when you see them do what they have done on the defensive side of the ball, that shows an incredible amount of progress. I mean, it is ridiculous. Ridiculous progress. So much credit has to go to Blake Baker, but then also Drinkwitz for bringing in those those players. Yep. And then what you saw on Saturday, and then I'll start last week with Drinkwitz saying, yeah, maybe I should bring in somebody to call plays. To me, that shows an evolution, and that is an important part of a, a college football coach. That's an important part of any human being. But we're talking about Drinkwitz as a coach going, okay, yeah, maybe it isn't working because offensively that's supposed to be my strong suit and offense is the reason why we are not take your pick of five and two or at this point six and two um, or maybe even better. So I liked that. And then what they actually implemented against South Carolina uh, with – the changes on the offensive line, and then also the way that they just focused on Cody Schrader and didn't and they just, okay, you're going to run north-south, you're going to take care of the football, and then set Brady Cook up to execute these pass plays to Dominic Lovett, who, if his name was Luther Burden, would be getting a hell of a lot more attention, that then actually opened up some longer pass plays that they were able to execute. So Brady Cook played a hell of a game. Tip of the cap to him. That, to me, was, from my standpoint, the most complete game we've seen Missouri play in the Eli Drinkwitz era. Now, whether or not South Carolina is a great team or not, 
I take that certainly into the equation, but again, it's not about is Missouri now in the mix to be this right. caliber of team? Is, is the program making progress? And now, from from my standpoint anyway, there is no way that Eli Drinkwitz loses his job after this year, and that is a positive because if you had to rebuild again and restart over, that would set this thing backwards. So I'm super encouraged by that, and I'm really excited to see what they do over the next couple of weeks. Unfortunately, there's another one of those you know, whatever games against New Mexico State. But three of the next four games, certainly Tennessee, that's going to be a hell of a challenge. Big time. But Kentucky and Arkansas are winnable. And the thing is, when you have that defense, you can hang with anybody. Just ask the George Bulldogs. So when I take a look at that, that to me is progress. Now, what Gabe writes this morning, and Gabe was just on with us, um, what he points out, and I think there's something to be said for it, is if they get to seven wins, then that shows that they have really made uh, the, the leap in the direction he thought they needed to make going into the season because it turns out this schedule wound up not being as tough as we thought it was going to be because he points out that Auburn and Florida are not great teams and perhaps Kentucky isn't necessarily what Kentucky was thought to be going into the year. But, you know, I, I, still, you had to go to K-State you had to go to Auburn, you had to go to the Swamp, and you have to go to Knoxville, uh, and you still have to deal with Georgia at home, and you had to go to a decent South Carolina team, whether they're great or not, I yep. understand. But what he's pointing out is they've there's five great teams in the SEC, and Missouri is only going to wind up playing two of them. And the combined record for Mizzou's SEC opponents outside of Georgia and Tennessee is 8-21, and and that's 5-29 and if you take out their wins against Missouri. Auburn and Florida both 1-4 and in the league with their only wins coming against Mizzou. So what he's trying to say is if you're 6-6 six and six or worse against that schedule, yeah, it's fair to still have questions going into the offseason. Saturday clearly show, should have ended any speculation that Drinkwitz's job's in jeopardy after the season. He says it never really was anyway, but there were plenty of people who wanted to talk about it and absolutely can be used as a reason that you feel better about the future than you did a week ago, but it didn't give us definitive answers yet in my mind. That's Gabe DeArmond on PowerMizzou.com on his analysis of the program, and I understand that. And I respect it because I respect him, and I know he's super close to uh, a number of people in the athletic department the football program with regards to his coverage. Uh, my perspective is when you see the defense make the leaps and bounds it has made, that is a great illustration of progress. And the way the game was called, the changes that were made offensively, that's incredibly encouraging. Now, what I'm going to keep an eye on this coming Saturday is you are coming off the exact opposite Uh, for Kentucky than you did with South Carolina. In other words, South Carolina was coming off of one of their best wins at home, night game against Texas A&M, with the perception that Texas A&M was not as bad as I think the perception is just nine days later of what Texas A&M is, now that they've lost to South Carolina and they lost at home to Ole Miss and they had to come back to make it close right at the end. Uh, So... South Carolina was riding a high. Kentucky is riding getting humiliated in Knoxville, Tennessee last Saturday. So how will the Kentucky Wildcats respond to that with a road game in Columbia at 11 o'clock on Saturday? Kentucky, for the record, a two-and-a-half-point favorite when it opened. The line is now down to two for Missouri and Kentucky. And I want to talk about some of these college football spreads because we got one hell of a weekend coming up in particular in the SEC. Now, with regards to Illinois, can't wait for this one yeah. uh, because Illinois is heading towards a showdown in Ann Arbor. And as weird as it might sound to people, 
Illinois is in the mix for the college football playoff. They are. They are. And now, some Illinois fans might go, yeah, it's a wonderful year. We kind of recognize where we are in the pecking order. You can't lose to Indiana and then still be in the mix. But if you beat Michigan and then you somehow get in the college football playoff and beat Ohio State, which I realize would probably would call, what would you say, a 50 to 1, something along those lines, 2% chance beating of those Ohio things happening. Beating Ohio State to even get there would be like the. Well, beating Michigan in Ann Arbor to get there and then beating Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. championship right, yes, right. To, to, to have both those things, things happen. happen. Yeah, 50 yeah. to 1 would be about right. Yeah. yeah. So with that said, they're in the mix. And they go into Lincoln, and I realize Nebraska's way down from what Missouri fans are used to seeing. But either way, they were down 9-7, to seven, and then they respond, and that defense holds Nebraska in check 26-9. to nine. For the record, Illinois, a 14.5-point favorite this weekend in Champaign against Michigan State. That spread opened up at 8.5, but Michigan State suspended four players for the beating of the Michigan player in the tunnel. And so uh, now that line is at 14.5 for Illinois. The big game this weekend, Tennessee and Georgia. Wow. Jackson, we talked about it on TMA, so you already know the spread. I will allow some people to think about it right now. It is in Georgia, 2.30 kickoff. It is the CBS game of the week. And the spread, take your guesses, take your guesses. It opened up with Georgia minus 12.5. It has dropped to Georgia minus 9. Unbelievable. I just feel like Tennessee is, conti- I don't want to call it getting disrespected. They're, they, 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 they don't sit in a boardroom in Las Vegas and goes, who fan base can we upset? There's math that creates these numbers, and then there is action that creates these numbers. But Tennessee was a big underdog at home against Alabama, and they were an underdog on the road against LSU, yep. and they just keep putting up points. I'm stunned that that opened at 12 and a half. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I would have thought it would have been around six. That's what I would have thought. My only thought is that Tennessee has had their two big like statement victories at home at night, and that will not be the case. On they won Saturday. at LSU. Yeah, they did. They did. LSU's a better team in Kentucky. Yeah, but they beat Alabama. Yeah, I, I would say that. But I don't know. I think they probably want people to bet Tennessee. I don't know what to read. But they're seven to one against the spread. Tennessee. Yeah, is the one time they didn't cover was against Florida. Florida scored a late touchdown yeah, backdoor, to a backdoor cover that. Yeah. And then uh, LSU and Alabama coming up at night. LSU and Alabama. Alabama is minus 13.5. It opened at 13.5. It's holding steady at 13.5. That's one that I've got my eye on because with that one, I could see Alabama beating the hell out of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could see But the whole reason why I would hold back is LSU on Saturday night. Weird things happen. It's the truth. And it's Alabama and it's LSU on a Saturday night. I'm just not sure LSU's talent is there yet with Brian Kelly. And Alabama has to be in a spot where they not only win, but the SEC, if the SEC is going to get two teams in there, then you're going to have a really weird situation in college football. If you look at Clemson's schedule, their toughest remaining game is either this week at Notre Dame, 630 start in South Bend, or in the ACC championship, which most likely will be North Carolina, North Carolina with just one loss, and then TCU. Now, TCU still has to travel to Austin to play the Longhorns, and they have to travel to Baylor. But TCU looks like they've got a real good shot at being undefeated. So if you have Clemson and TCU in the mix at undefeated, if you have two SEC teams and you have either Illinois, Michigan, or Ohio State out of the Big Ten, mm-hmm. we're not having gotten into USC with one loss to Utah and Oregon with one loss, albeit a bloody one to open up the season 49-3 to against Georgia. 
How in the world does the college football playoff committee come to a final four teams on that one? It's just further proof that four teams is the wrong way to do it. And this is one of the few years where I would say there's not a clear one. No, I would say there are some incredible teams. Yep. But there isn't a clear one. You can make a case for Georgia. You can make a case for Ohio State. You can sure as hell make a case for Tennessee. I don't know how many people would make a case for TCU. I don't know how many people would make a case for Clemson. And you sure as hell can make a case for Ohio State and Michigan. And so this thing is absolutely wide open. And it's a shame from a college football standpoint that USC lost in that two-point conversion with Utah. Because otherwise you could have USC making their resurgence in this year where it's wide open. This would be a perfect year to have the 12-team playoff. My God, it It would would be be wonderful. There's going to be two or maybe even three teams who are going to be like, we have legitimate bids to go to the college football playoff and we're not going to get it. It's not just going to be an argument. Again, Clemson has to finish it off. Yeah, and TCU has to finish it off. I would say it's more likely that Clemson does. Notre Dame is yeah. down this year. ACC's They've righted the ship recently. Bad. TCU has to go to Texas, and they have to go to Baylor. But uh, those two teams don't look the same as they no. did about a, a month ago. So uh, it's wide open. Excited to watch Illinois, assuming they can get things taken care of against Michigan State this week when they get a chance to go to Ann Arbor and just see how that defense matches up when they go on the road and take on the Wolverines. Uh, so there it all is, the college football state of the union here locally and nationally. Your thoughts, 65780. Jeremy Rutherford joining us in about 10 minutes on the state of the blues. Your questions for JR, send them in, 65780. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Uh, Jackson, uh, this is Balloon Party 101 ESPN, the award-winning You've always called this po- program the Little Piddle Show, am I correct? Always has been, yeah. Look at, there's there's haunt, there's ghouls outside. The, there's yeah, ghouls there outside. There is. The, Several ghouls. <laughs> outside the studio. What, should I go out there and... <laughs> It's the Adams family. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it really is scary as the day is long. And then there's Cousin It walking around in the hallways here. Right. Oh, man. I don't know what to do. I'm I'm afraid of ghosts, people. I want that to be known. It's a a perfect uh, group of costumed folk. Yeah, that's really nice. From the sales staff. I just looked to the right. I wonder if they timed it that way. Why didn't we dress up? Why didn't we dress up? We should have come as something. There, are, there were some texts suggesting on costumes for us in the early going. I saw someone said I should dress as a real sports radio host. Yep. Oh, good one. <laughs> Got me. Uh, but, but because you call this the Piddle Show, Balloon Party, but Honesty in Media, let's just lay it on the line. There is some really bad clock management today. Today, and I had no idea. Today, you do. I got the Sports Center update, and then we'll be back. And I look down. I go, "Oh my God, it's ten forty. That's ten minutes late. That's ten minutes late. It's actually a little more than ten minutes. It's like closer to like twelve to thirteen minutes." I mean, I just absolutely destroyed it. And yeah. I really want to talk. I could talk for an hour with Jeremy Rutherford. Right. So this segment is this segment. I can't do it. I can't. I am. I am a podcast. I'm a creature of the podcast. You are. And the yeah. creature of the podcast is not used to the clock. And yeah. I don't think I can change who I am. It's tough. You can take the boy out of South City. You can't take the South City out of the boy. You just can't. I've been saying you can't take the South City out of the boy for years. I knew you said that. Yeah. I knew that you it's said that. It's always been my thing. So uh, I'm going to have a, th- it's a minute 50 I see on the clock right now for this segment. 
Um, we were we were scared by ghouls in the hallway. Yeah, that that's what we'll blame it on. Yeah. We had a great segment planned, but then we were we were frightened. And then I did a I did forty minutes in two segments apparently, and didn't even realize it too. I'm I like, did. Oh, to be let fair, me, I, let me cut this college football segment short. Let me cut this Cardinal segment short. No, I apparently went twenty minutes long. Just dreadful. It's been eleven months. I mean, at what point do I get it? Uh, month. 14 to month 50. 14. Month right, 14 to 15. See us in February. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us on the other side of the break. I'm sure you have a lot of questions for him. I can't wait to talk it over with him. So we will mark this segment as ghouls horrify the guys into bad clock management. And then we'll get right to Jeremy Rutherford next year on Balloon Party 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Welcome back. Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan with you to the top of the hour. Then it's BK and Ferrario. And it is our pleasure to be joined on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with the Rutherford Report by Jeremy Rutherford. Morning, JR. Morning, Tim. Hey, quick question. Should I stand just by the rink with the pucks making noise in the background? I sound like more of an insider, or can I go out in the hallway? Does it matter? Oh, I kind of I kind of like the former. Yeah. I kind of like the former. Agreed. Yeah, like man on the scene. Right. Yeah. I kind of like that. That's natural not a bad pops. idea. Okay. Yeah, natural pops. Thank you, Jackson. Uh, Blues okay. and Kings tonight here on 101 ESPN. Jr. I don't know what your perspective is on this, and I was reading your work on the Athletic over the weekend. This is, at least in my opinion. Uh, this is the first time since Craig Berube's been the head coach where, and it all has happened in a week, where I'm going, oh, what's going on? Uh, I realize it's the first time they've had four straight without uh, picking up a point in any capacity under Berube, but I think the most recent game was perhaps the most discouraging game, and the way that it all went down with the the second and third period uh, was eye-opening, so... I'm curious, as somebody who covers the team, what your perspective is. Yeah, I think so. You know, when you talk about uh, four straight, first time since uh, Craig Bruby took over that you've had that, such been such a run of success with Craig Bruby. But I'll I look at it this way, and I don't want people to think that these are rose-colored glasses, but let me just uh, tell you how I see it. Is This team was in bad shape, right? Craig Bruby has tried to keep them confident, keep them going. And then you have a game like you did the other night. You're up 3-1 to one and you lose it. So now it's four straight. Now what is going on with this Blues team? But if you look inside that game, you got a situation where who's the guy that everybody's been focused on? Jordan Cairo. They're telling him to get to the net. He gets to the net. He scores on a power play goal, the slapper that you've been – wrist shot that you've been looking for. They're doing some good things in that game. What happens when it gets to 3-1 to one is that you have a broken play that leads to the 3-2 goal. And then you take a couple penalties that lead to two power play goals for Montreal. Now it's 4-3, and you lose the hockey game. Completely discouraging to give up a 3-1 lead. But in a long season, things are going to happen like broken plays. Things are going to happen like a penalty kill that's been so terrific to give up two to Montreal. Stuff like that is going to happen throughout the year. It just happened at a really bad time for the St. Louis Blues. And so what I'll see is this. So you turn off your TV the other night, you're bummed out, the Blues have lost four in a row. What I saw yesterday at practice, and by the way, sometimes they cancel Sunday practices. They didn't do that. Craig Bruby went out there. He, had a, he drives to the practice facility, and he thinks, how do I handle this? And he told us afterwards. He said, I'm not going to call these guys out and you know, jump them. What I'm going to do here 
is try to build up this confidence. He was really even keeled at practice yesterday. And so he's going to keep the same lines. They're going to go out and play this L.A. Kings team tonight. I'm not saying they're going to win this game tonight. They could lose it. But I don't see this situation as rock bottom. I don't see it as they're going to go 2-8 and eight in their next 10. I see this as a team that's going through something right now. But they've shown in the past they've got the poise, they've got the leadership to get through this stuff. Jeremy Rutherford with us. Your questions for JR. 65780, Air Comfort Service text line. Um, I'm curious on this. Certainly one of the big focal points, it wasn't on Saturday, has been scoring. Uh, Buchnevich gets back in there, and uh, and then he is he's slotted back on that Thomas line. And then you still see the same kind of struggle. So here's 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 a hypothesis of some kind form. They can't find the chemistry on the first and third lines and so as a result the offense is just kind of struggling here and then they wind up panicking late and then they abandon their safe style of play to try to force the offense and that's what leads to some of the turmoil later in the games. Your thoughts on the hypothesis? Yeah, no, I hear you and, and I agree and and see all the things that I said I, I believe in about this team but there are a couple issues, and it's it's the offense. It's the 5-on-5. Five five. Now, you step back big picture. This team had nine 20-goal scorers, eight comeback. you got to feel good about the offense big picture. It's not clicking right now, but you've been without Pavel Buchnevich, you know, for the, what, five, six games before he came back last game. Looked pretty good. I think he's going to get more comfortable as he plays more games. You definitely need more 5-on-5 five five offense, but to me, what that comes down to isn't so much scoring goals. It's the stuff that leads up to the scoring goals, the passes, the execution, the tape-to-tape, it's just been missing. Now, granted, you did have 14 missed shots. They've had 53 missed shots in this four-game losing streak. But you saw a situation the other night. Nathan Walker puts it in. Noel Achari puts it in. It could be a different game there at the end. Uh, So some of those fourth-line guys missing shots, they've got to be better finishers. But to me, it starts at the other end. Got to make better exits passes hasn't been there that's what Craig Bruby's really been harping on and then you touched on it if there's one single big issue right now to meet Tim, it's the third period yeah. in the last in the last four games they've been outscored 11 to 2 in the third period you take out the empty netters and it's 7 to 1 so if you got a veteran team that's supposedly proud and can go out there and finish a game come back whether you're down a goal or what this team has not done that in the third period, and that's discouraging. With regards to Cairo and O'Reilly, certainly a lot of attention going their way. Cairo gets the two goals on Saturday, which takes some of the spotlight off of him. Uh, but they're both minus 10, and that's as bad as you are going to find. Uh, how would you assess the situations there? And Craig Bruby, as you said, he isn't going to mess with anything here going into tonight's game, giving his team some semblance of I'm not going to panic. But how would you evaluate those two? Because those are the ones that I think you're getting the most criticism from fans on at this point. Yeah, I think so. I think with Jordan Cairo, he's just got to play better. And that's the one thing with Craig Bruby. He said that 10 times in the past week. Is Whenever asked about Jordan Cairo, he said, play better, play better. He's got to be a 200-foot player. He's got to do things besides scoring to make himself a better player. The one thing that he said is get to the net. He did that the other night on that goal. Now, granted, does it t- touch him You know, barely? But he's in front of the net where he needs to be. And then we saw that uh, power play goal later. So I, I think that's a big thing. The one thing Craig Bruby said about the lines yesterday and he's not a huge analytics guy, uh, but you have to be, I think, when you're a head coach in the NHL right now. He said, look, the analytics, the numbers show that these lines are getting the chances. They are uh, creating the opportunities, and I'm going to stick with them. Plus, I want to show some confidence in these guys. So, you know, at, at some point, you could see a Thomas Kyrou, but I think right now they're sticking with that Buchnevich, Thomas, Tarasenko, and then without Assad that kind of just 
leaves certain lane combinations uh, for the taking there, and, and Craig Berube is going to continue to roll with him. Speaking of Saad, I uh, saw your uh, tweet yesterday saying Berube said he is uh, not necessarily close. Uh, what are you uh, hearing on him? Yeah, upper body injury. And the one thing with Saad uh, is we haven't seen him around the rink, and that's not to say he hasn't been here. Sometimes they're at the rink, you just don't pass him in the hallways. But uh, a lot of times injured guys, you at least pass them or you'll see them once or twice in a week span. Haven't seen Brandon Saad. So we don't know what the injury is, but it would seem, you know, upper body, they're keeping them away, uh, that uh, there's something there. Plus the indefinite timetable uh, that Craig Ruby continues to give. You know, he says that uh, he's a ways away when you talk about a guy who hasn't been practicing. So it doesn't seem uh, positive for Saad at the moment. Blues and Kings tonight as they try to right the ship. This one will have a lot of focus on it for an October hockey game after the way things went the previous week. It's amazing how our conversation has changed in seven days. Last week we were talking about a team that was undefeated and coming off that win against Edmonton in, uh, in four games. It has changed the perspective of fans substantially and listen understandably so too that that saturday second and third period was uh was alarming actually i think it's the way i would yeah, describe it, it was it was and i don't want to sound you know rosy about it like i said but i just think there were some things that happened in that game that yes they should have overcome they should have played better they should have won that game it should be no question uh but i i just see a quality team here things didn't go right for him but i don't see this as a team that in a week or two, is going to be at the bottom of the standings looking up and everybody panicking. So I think this is a situation that this group can manage. JR with us every Monday here on Bloon Party 101 ESPN. JR, we appreciate it, sir. Thank you for also adding the natural pops in the background. I think that really added to the report. Well, thanks to Jake Neighbors. He went over there and hit about 10 of them off the board. (laughs) What a gentleman. (laughs) Thank you, JR. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry Rutherford with us here on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario are coming up next for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.